Before we get started, there are things that are mentioned in the trivia tonight that involve... Uh, adult material. Adult material. Yeah. yeah. Things like urine and dildos and yeah. probably some butt sex. Yeah. Uh, I think that's just our general warning. I... I wrote these questions earlier today. I just don't remember if any of them involve those, but it's a safe bet. At least one of them involves at least one of those things. Free tacos. Free tacos. Beer. for free tacos podcast season number two um we are going to start with some trivia here in just a moment i hope you guys are ready uh so here's the deal i have oh i'm the um i'm the brewery underscore buddy i'm david the brewery underscore buddy here i'm your host uh just off camera that you can't see we've got uh joe with the show yes with the show. Over on the comfortable couch and chairs, we've got Holy Sister Lisa, DJ Pizza, keeping the cats warm, and uh, we've got all of you lovely folks on Facebook Live, which is fantastic. Here's how it's going to go tonight. Um, we have 15 questions, which fit into five wonderful categories, three questions each. Uh, each question is worth a varying number of points, depending on how I feel like scoring. Uh, so I will give points. The winner will get absolutely no prize except for my adoration. And, uh, yeah, I think we're going to get going. One quick warning before we get started. There are things that are mentioned in the trivia tonight that involve... Uh, adult material. Adult material. Yeah. yeah. Things like urine and dildos and yeah. probably some butt sex. Yeah. Uh, I think that's just our general warning. I... I wrote these questions earlier today. I just don't remember if any of them involve those, but it's a safe bet. At least one of them involves at least one of those things. In other words, he was dreaming when he wrote this. <laughs> it's like a Prince lyric. It's so <laughs> good. That. All right. Uh, so here we go. Let's get started. Here are our category. <laughs> Let's get started with our categories for today. Uh, we got crazy history, cryptic cartoons, movie mysteries, silly sciences, and Disney discourse. Everybody ready? Great. Here we go. We are starting off with our crazy history. Boop. There it is. Um, oh, and remember, all of the pictures that I have up are probably here to purposely mislead you, so please do not go by the pictures that I have behind me. They are just there, so I don't have to repeat the question, even though I'm going to repeat the question over and over and over Again, although she died in 1946, and probably deserving a third medal for that, Juliana was one of the most celebrated British females during World War II. In November of 1944, Juliana was able to alert her family about a fire that broke out in their shoe shop and was honored with her second Blue Cross medal, and a portrait was commissioned of the event. What did Juliana do? to deserve her first Blue Cross. So here's, uh, I listened to last week's episode. We waited way too long for things. So while Facebook is catching up, I'm going to go around the room here. This time, I'm going to start with Joe with the show. Joe with the show, what did Juliana do to be given her first Blue Cross? And by the way, Juliana is not a cat. I just threw this up here because it was a cat with a medal, and it cracked me up. So... Uh, Joe, what do we got? Mm, she... Uh, it, it's World War II British girl named Juliana. My, uh, favorite nephew says Sniper. Yeah, um... Lee Douglas had helped an old man fill his house with balloons to fly away. Ah. Eric says she was a homing pigeon. Are those two... Is she a sniper and a homing religion? A homing pigeon? <laughs> a homing religion. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Mormons eat your heart out. Yeah. Uh, Alright, so. One more quick time. 
Although she died in 1946 and probably deserving a third medal, Juliana was one of the most celebrated British females during World War II. In November of 1944, Juliana was able to alert her family about a fire that broke out in their shoe shop and was honored with her second Blue Cross medal, and a portrait was commissioned for the event. What did Juliana do to be given her first Blue Cross? And keep in mind, Juliana was not a cat. So, here are some guesses we've got. We've got Sniper. We've got helped an old man fill his house with balloons to fly away. She was a homing pigeon, saved kids from a bear, warned people when planes were coming. And she was a very accurate homing pigeon. <laughs> My nephew is dead set on Juliana murdering people. So, <laughs> me to Joe. Um, What'd she do? She... I don't know, changed bandages? Change bandages. DJ Pizza. Mm, caught a burglar. Caught a burglar. <laughs> Holy Sister Lisa. Uh, she trained horses to rescue people. <laughs> <laughs> trained? Yep. Nope, that's not a thing. Uh, also, <laughs> when... Big Mama Case had warned people that planes were coming. My nephew says, no, you're thinking of Paul Revere. The regulars are coming. The regulars are coming. All right. So here we go. We're going to move on to the answer. Uh, and I'm just going to have to remember, I always forget to put myself down here because I think somebody's going to get these. And when they don't, I give myself 500 points. So. <laughs> God, you guys have to know I love Talking about wartime animals, Juliana was known as the Great Dane with the Great Bladder. In 1941, an incendiary bomb fell through the house that Juliana and her family lived in. Juliana stood over the bomb and peed on it to extinguish the flames and keep them from spreading. The portrait and Blue Cross were found in a, a house clearing that went to an estate sale in 2013 where they fetched 1,100 pounds. Juliana should have received a third medal when she saved her owners again by eating a poisonous substance that had been sent to her owners through the mail. Huh. And that's how she died in 1946. Oh. All right. Poor Juliana. Poor Juliana. Gorgeous Great Dane. Here we go. Adolf Sachs is most notably known for the fact that he created the saxophone. He did so as an attempt to improve on the clarinet and basically designed a brass velvet clarinet and patented it. I'm sure you've all seen a saxophone before, but you might not know that this dude is a badass. After moving to Paris, Mr. Sax in the city was trying to get a military contract to make and supply the instruments for the French army. He's Belgian, so it was like a super big deal to a bunch of French people that he really actually got the contract, by the way, um, uh, for the marching band. Uh, he was so successful that every other instrument maker in France formed a musical mafia of sorts to keep him down. And as much as they tried, they were unsuccessful. Even after stealing his designs, keeping him tied up in legal battles, threatening his workers and local composers uh, against using any of his instruments in their compositions or concerts, burning down his workshop, however... He overcame all those obstacles, but he started as a badass as a kid. In fact, his neighbors even called him Little Sax the Ghost. Why did they call him Little Sax the Ghost? He was so fast, they couldn't see. <laughs> so fast, couldn't see. Couldn't see him. Somebody has been watching Ant-Man and the Wasp. He screamed a lot. So we got so fast, nobody could see him. He screamed a lot. Joe with the show. Well, Big Sax was already taken, so they just said, well, we'll just call him the Little Sax. All right, so, so Big Sax was Big taken. Sax They're calling him Little Sax. Yeah. Basically, his street name. Yeah. It was just his street name. Big Sax was already taken. Big Sax, the ghost. All right, Chrissy says he was very, very <clears throat> sneaky. Super pale, says Eric. They thought he was not alive, says Lee Douglas. It's a 
A little on the morbid side. <laughs> <laughs> Dead man walking. Well, he's a ghost, so... I mean, he is a ghost. He is a ghost. There's not too many alive ghosts that I've met. Maybe some. I've met a couple of alive ghosts. Yeah. I, don't know. I do I do go to a lot of breweries. That's true. Um, <laughs> I love seeing the little happy, smiling faces, like, pop up. <laughs> he put power on himself so he looked like a ghost when he was sneaking around. Oh, I think that's supposed to be powder? Mom, is it supposed to be powder? Yeah. I think so. There's a little neon. Neon kid running around. Any more guesses? Alright, what's the answer? Alright, so. The reason is simple. He kept just not dying when he should have. Even his mother said... Uh, he's a child condemned to misfortune, and he won't live. Why she would say that? Well, he fell from three stories and landed on his head, drank a bowl of acidic water, ate pins, burnt himself in a gunpowder explosion, fell into a hot cast iron frying pan, which burned his side, lived through an accidental burning, got hit on the head by a rock, and fell into a river and almost died all before he was six years old. Uh, <laughs> when he was an adult, he actually had a cancerous tumor on his lip uh, that was so big that he could that he could only eat through a tube uh, that he literally willed away. There were only two options for him. He could either have this uh, experimental surgery where they removed his jaw to get rid of the cancerous thing, or he could go and seek this snake oil salesman. Uh, and he basically did neither and just willed this thing to go away on his lip and it did because he's a badass not only did he create the saxophone but he also created the saxotromba the sax horn which would eventually become the modern day flugelhorn the sax tuba which that's the sax tuba right there uh all made for marching bands my favorite thing he invented though was a device intended to fire an an 11 yard wide mortar bullet that weighs 500 tons which he called the Saxo Cannon. Jeez. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go ahead. <laughs> Eric says they fed him through a saxophone. I'm going to go ahead and give Eric 10 points for that. I'm giving Lee Douglas, who was the closest on that, uh, another 10 points. And since nobody was actually right, giving myself another 500. All right. Next question. In 1959, both Alaska and Hawaii were added to the United States. One year earlier, Robert G. Heff submitted a design for the flag of the United States of America. This was in 1958 he did this, one year prior to either of those states joining the Union. Robert was uh, adamant that his design should be used. He wrote the White House 21 times before receiving a personal call from President Eisenhower informing him that they would use the flag design that included 50 stars in the field as the official flag of the United States of America. How old was Robert G. Heft when he designed the flag? 50. 50! That's what I was gonna guess. Mm. We got two 50s. How old? Twelve. Twelve! So we've got two fifties and a twelve. Six, says Eric. All right, Facebook, what else? We got fifteen, says Lee Douglas. And I will give fifty points to the closest person. Twenty-nine. Twenty-nine, says Big Mama K. Thirty-six, says Chrissy. There's some sort of mathematical equation to figure this all out. Cool. Then we're going to keep moving on. So, Robert G. Heft was a high schooler still when he created this flag as an assignment when he was only 17. So that's going to go ahead and give 50 points to Lee Douglas, who was the closest. Um... The teacher laughed at him and said, you don't even know how many states we have, and gave him a B-minus for the assignment. 
Robert claims to have added the additional stars to the flag in anticipation of Alaska and Hawaii joining the USA. Of course, he could have just been an idiot who didn't want to be told he was wrong. We will never know. This is, this is this dude in high school. This dude looks older than I am now when he was 18 years old in high school. All right, we are moving on to cryptic cartoons. Hi, cat. Meow. So, the first American TV show to show a married couple sleeping in the same bed together was 1947's Mary Kay and Johnny, as pictured right here. Not to mention, uh, that was the first sitcom ever for American TV as well. But this category is about cartoons. So what was the first animated TV show to depict a husband and wife in bed together? The Flintstones. We've got the Flintstones. Mm. Holy Sister Lisa, what do we got? I don't know, I'm thinking. DJ Pizza, what do we got? The Jetsons. That's a good guess. We got two more for Flintstones on the internet. We've got another Jetsons. All right. Holy Sister Lisa. All right. I, got, I think the Jetsons. We got another for Jetsons. So we're even. We're three for three. Flintstones and Jetsons. Chrissy, what do we got? You're the deciding vote. Is it the Flintstones or the Jetsons? Or something correct? <laughs> <laughs> Chrissy says the Flintstones. All right. The first American TV show to show America... Oh, I already read that. Hold on. Uh, Premiering on Friday, September 30th, 1960, the Flintstones were the first animated American TV show to depict a husband and wife in bed together as both Fred and Wilma, as well as Barney and Betty, slept in the same beds. How about that? Like, not as a foursome, but like they both... They both slept in their own beds. Um, although animated, the original idea for the Flintstones was for this show to be geared for adults. The first two seasons were actually sponsored by Winston Cigarettes. It's kind of hard to see, but those cigarettes literally say uh, Winston on them. Um, and the early shows have many advertisements for this within their episodes. All right. So my Flintstones, we've got uh, Lee Douglas scoring himself another 10, Eric scoring himself another 10, Chrissy getting herself on the board with 10, uh, Joe said 10. Nope, that's not the right person. Oh, here you are, you're over here. 10. All right, there we go. And that's funny because Eric literally read about this yesterday. So... As a follow-up to his highly successful smash hit, The Simpsons, Matt Groening created the animated series Futurama. Eight main voice actors make up the cast that follow the adventures of Philip J. Fry, Leela, and the robot Bender, as they cause all sorts of problems a thousand years after Fry is cryogenically frozen. Aloha Mars and Doomsville were both names for the show Matt came up with that were resoundingly rejected. That's in quotes. Those were his uh. words. Uh, before Futurama was decided upon. Where did the name Futurama come from? Uh. I don't know. I never watched this show. Either. Yeah. Never... Has nothing to do with the show. <laughs> From Bananarama, the 80s band. We got one guess for Bananarama, the 80s band. And uh, DJ Pete's is going to go ahead and just get eight points for Walking Like an Egyptian. Uh, we've got an exhibit, says Eric Epcot, says Lee Douglas. Joe with the show, what do you got? Other than a big yawn. Um. I'm going to say... Joe's bored Ep- of cartoons. Too. Joe's also going with Epcot. Yep. Mm-hmm. I'm going with Magic Kingdom. With Magic Kingdom. <laughs> Just, this isn't even a Disney question. Yeah. <laughs> I have a hard enough time coming up with those where you guys will agree with me, so not coming up with extra ones. Tomorrowland. <laughs> All right. Uh, the banana split, says Chrissy. She's, she's hoping that... <laughs> Is that because Bananarama got points, Chrissy's hoping? Like, I've got no no idea. Let me hope to just get a couple more points. 
Alright, do we have any more guesses from Facebook? Where did Futurama, the name Futurama come from? I think we're good. What's... Alright, so Futurama was the name of an exhibit at the 1939 New York's World's Fair. It was designed by Norman Bell Geddes to show how he imagined the world would look in 1959. There's mention of this when Fry wakes up in the year 3000, as Terry says, welcome to the world of tomorrow, which echoes the theme of the World's Fair, which was building the world of tomorrow. So, uh, the closest we got to that was Eric with an exhibit, so I will give him four points for being very vague. Uh. All right. Wonder Woman was originally created by William Charles Marston. You uh, might not know that Wonder Woman is a combination of his wife, Elizabeth, and their life partner, Olive Byrne. Not just by physical description, but also intelligence, emotional strength, and of course, their experimentation with threesome bondage sex. Uh. Wonder Woman was originally censored for the amount of sexual undertones, or not so subtle depictions, actually. She was completely retconned later in life, but that's how it started. Dr. Marsden and his wife are actually credited with making improvements to yield viable results from what modern device? And just for the record, um, he died, like, almost 100 years ago. So... It's not a dildo. It might be a dildo. <laughs> I don't know. Is that your guess? Sure. <laughs> he, he made... He, see? I told you dildos were going to come up. Yep. I warned you. I warned you if you're watching with your kids. This is on you. All right. So we've got two... We got a brother-sister dildo combination here. Yeah. Uh, birth control. Birth control. We got sister wives. Um, handcuffs. Says Lee Douglas. Vibrator, says Chrissy. I literally actually told my mother this exact fact two days ago. So if she does not answer, it's on her. So we've got uh, two dildos and a vibrator. Sister wives, maybe. We've got uh, handcuffs. Lie detector, says. We've got a lie detector, says Mama Kay. That doesn't sound truthful at all. Uh... Uh, you said birth control over here at DJ Pizza. We're going to go ahead and give another 14 seconds. 14. Oh, by the way, this is uh, one of the original comics where uh, Wonder Woman gets tied, tied up. Just in case you guys didn't... If, if you guys can't see it because my head's in the way or my shadow's in the way, this is Wonder Woman being tied up in the uh, original comics. Uh, that sounds like a good night, says Eric. All right, so... We're going to go ahead and give some answers. Wonder Woman. Got to read the second question. It was his wife, Elizabeth, that suggested it was her blood pressure that increased when she was mad or excited, which led Marsden to abandon the machine that detected through changes in breathing to a lie detector machine that measured changes in blood pressure. That's right. Often credited as the creator of the polygraph test, test he actually just improved on it greatly not to mention that wonder woman has a lasso of truth that when wrapped around somebody it can compel them to speak the truth basically she just get tied up a lot like a lot a lot that whole bondage thing with the three of them uh so <laughs> i'm gonna go ahead uh big mama k for remembering a conversation we had a couple nights ago is gonna go ahead and get 100 points um, everybody who said dildo, which was, uh, Joe, Holy Sister Lisa, and, um, Chrissy too, right? Chrissy said vibrator. Uh, she's gonna go ahead and get herself another five points, five points, five points. Eric, for making the joke about Sounds Like a Great Night, gets eight points. And we are gonna go ahead and, oh, you know what? I'll give, uh, Lee another eight points too for bringing up handcuffs, which are basically little, uh, bondage indicators made out of metal. All right, so <laughs> we are now moving on to the next category, which is movie mysteries, if it ever shows up on the screen. Here we go. Movie mysteries. 
First question, Heart of Darkness was an 1899 novel, which is actually ranked number 67 on the Modern Library's list of 100 best novels in English of the 20th century. The novel uh, was written by Joseph Conrad and focuses on Charles Marlowe, who narrates a story about his experience on a boat anchored in the River Thames. His novel was the inspiration for what 1979 film that is included in Robert Roger Ebert's top 100 list of greatest films ever. We got Deliverance from Eric. Romancing the Stone. Have you ever seen Romancing the Stone? <laughs> I don't know. Yes. <laughs> Alright, we've got Deliverance. we got Romancing the Stone. Top 10 movies all... Poseidon's Revenge. Lee, did you just make up a movie? <laughs> Joe with the show, what do you got for a guess? He's not here. Speechless and currently the closest. <laughs> Love Boat, says Mama Kay. That's... Heart of Darkness. I'm going to make a movie called The Love Boat. That's... <laughs> just... One side of the spectrum to another. <laughs> Lee says he thinks he did make up a movie. He's awful at it. Uh, you don't actually have to make this one up. Everybody's going to know this as soon as I click to the next slide. So, uh, since I've got no other guesses, we are... Wait, Chrissy, do you have a guess? What movie was... Uh, 1899 was the book. 1979 was the movie. I was also very confused by this, so don't you worry. Jaws. Jaws. I don't know why. Switching it to Jaws. Okay, here we go. Uh, with the settings changed from the early 1900s to 1960, and the Congo to the Vietnam War, and basically all the characters changed... Apocalypse Now is based on Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness. Francis Ford Coppola had so much to deal with. Uh, like Dennis Hopper tormenting Marlon Brando. Marlon Brando basically being the absolute worst. Martin Sheen doing a lot of drugs. Martin Sheen having a heart attack. Props thought to be fake human bodies turned out to be real human corpses purchased from a grave robber, which caused the police to question the cast and crew and soldiers taking away the bodies. But still... What an amazing movie. Oh, so good. Wow. Uh, closest we got there was Joe, so Joe gets another 50 points. And uh, I'm going to give Lee uh, another 20 points for just making up a movie. I, <laughs> I don't even know where he came up with Poseidon's Revenge. That's great, though. Quentin Tarantino loves movies, dare I say, especially his own movies. Not to mention tying films together. So many of his characters are related to one another. Donnie Donowitz from Inglorious Bastards is related to Lee Donowitz from True Romance, which he also wrote. Vincent Vega and Vic Vega are in Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs. He even planned a movie or a show, I'm not really sure, with the two of them, likely a prequel, because spoiler alert, they both died. Uh, in Tarantino's film Django Unchained, Django's wife Brunhilde von Schaft is related to what other film character? Yep, that's that's uh, Django on the left and Broomhilda von Shaft on the right. That guy from the Hateful Eight. <laughs> that, that uh, uh, was it Samuel Jackson. Samuel Jackson's character from the Hateful Eight. Yeah. Okay. Ugh, Kerry Washington. It was so good in this movie. She's so good in everything. So we've got uh, Samuel L. Jackson's character from The Hateful Eight. I have no clue. We've got no clue. We've got uh, Bri Bridesmaid to Uma Thurman and Kill Bill. Okay. Eric says Quentin Tarantino's number one fan says my writing has a lot of poetry in it. Quentin Tarantino's character... 
Oh, the Australian dude? Samuel L. Jackson in Pulp Fiction. We have quite a lot of guesses. And we got a, quite a lot of half-correct guesses here. Uh, so I'm going to start giving out 10 points to people who were half-correct. I mean, basically not correct, but like, sort of correct. Um, Alright, so, played by Richard Roundtree in the 1970s as a private eye, John Shaft is reported to be a descendant of Hilda, Hildy, from Django Unchained. This means that technically, Broomhilda would also be related to her Django Unchained co-star Samuel Jackson Shaft from 2000 and 2019. Richard Roundtree reprises his role as Shaft in both of these films. So I'm going to go ahead and give 10 points uh, to Eric, because he said Samuel L. Jackson in Pulp Fiction. And I'm giving 10 points to DJ Pizza, because she said Samuel L. Jackson in Hateful Eight. You were both wrong, but you get 10 points. So there's that. All right, moving on to our... Star Wars question. Does a Wookiee shit in the woods? James Earl Jones may be the most recognizable voice in cinematic history as Darth Vader. Turns out, though, he wasn't actually George Lucas's first choice. George was planning for a different actor, but he changed his mind when he thought this voice was too recognizable. Who was George Lucas's original choice to voice Darth Vader? Correct. Correct. It'd be a really recognizable voice. We get Dick Van Dyke. Hopefully not with his Cockney accent, because that's <laughs> awful. All right. While people are thinking, now is a good time to uh, point to this free taco, free Rocco that is in front of us, brought to us by Lisa Celebration Rocks. Follow them on Instagram, Facebook, and I, I guess that's it, right? Just Facebook, really. Facebook really is the way to go. Uh, you can find yourself some wonderful rocks because they're wonderful, and they rock. Rock rocks. Um, also, just want to let you know, while we were waiting, um, you can now actually go to the hoppassport.com, and you can order yourself a Hop Passport, and you can get $5 off if you use the promo code FREETACOS, T-A-L-K-O-S, uh, all capital, no spaces, uh, you can save yourself $5 on your Hop Passport, which will get you plenty of your beer half off at locations all around Florida and a bunch of other states too, but definitely Florida. Um, so that is what I've got for that. We'll probably talk about them more in a little bit. All right, so we've got Dick Van Dyke, Robin Williams, British or Scottish guy, Connery, question mark. Uh, we've got, I used to know this, but now I don't, DJ Pizza. What do you got? We got a Charlton Heston. We've got a Sean Connery. I'm going with Connery. Joe, what do you got? Still nothing. All right. So, <laughs> James Earl Jones has become iconic on his voice work for Darth Vader. However, George Lucas originally envisioned, or, and hardened, I guess, Orson Welles in the role of Darth Vader as the voice. Uh, time to leave sci-fi behind and go to science itself, because it's time for some silly sciences. Kenneth Branagh. Nobody got that right. He's not even British or Scottish, I don't think. I'm pretty sure Orson Welles is American. So I'm going to give myself another 500 points. Looks like I'm winning. People are going to have to really impress me soon. I need some funny stuff. Do you remember what year this broadcast was? That's not in question right now. The spikes on the tail of a stegosaurus are officially called the thagomizer. This term started being used by paleontologist Ken Carpenter in 1993. However, he actually has to cite another author for the origin of this term. Where did the first use of the term thagomizer appear? What was the date again? Did you say a date in there? I did. 
uh, that he started using it in 1993. Mm. We've got a The Far Side comic from Gary Larson by Eric. Uh, Michael Crichton's Jurassic Park. Michael Crichton's Jurassic Park. Says DJ Pizza. What else do we have out there? Holy Sister Lisa. Mm. I have no idea. No idea. <laughs> All right, anybody else on the internet? We've got another The Far Side by Sessier. Not sure who that is, but that's cool. Let's go ahead and make sure Sess gets added on here. First guess for her, him, that person. We got a Peanuts. We've got a Bill Nye the Science Guy. We've got a Dungeons and Dragons. Seems like a lot of great guesses. I'm going to go ahead and drop out some points for the winner here. Let's just do... Uh, let's do 100 points. That seems like the way to go. All right. So, in... The Far Side comic by Gary Larson, released in 1982. The panel shows a caveman pointing at the tail of a stegosaurus and explaining, Now this is called the Thagomizer, after the late Thag Simmons. This gained traction up and uh, this gained traction up until this point. No other paleontologist had bothered to name this part of the dinosaur. So both Eric and Sessier. Oh, it's Sessler. Sessler uh, gets 100 points. Both of them get 100 points for getting correct. I feel like I've actually seen that comic before. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Polar bears are huge. Hold on. I actually have to read the question first. Camouflage works on so many levels. It helps animals and plants blend together. Blend in together. Polar bears actually have black skin, but their fur is white to help them blend in with the surrounding arctic terrain. Much like their main food source, polar bears have a thick layer of blubber which helps keep them warm and, oddly enough, keeps them from being visible from what? It's a nice spelling error you have there. FYI. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Those, those should not be Ds. They should be Bs. Yep, but now it's blutter. <laughs> I was so excited for this picture. <laughs> What's a predator to a pol I feel like humans is like the only answer that I can come up with. Um, I don't think anything else hunts a polar bear. Uh, from orcas, says Chrissy. Orcas. Yeah, I was thinking orcas, too, possibly. Oh, look, Joe returned. Back. How was that poop, Joe? It was great. <laughs> Joe, do you need me to repeat the question? No, I'm good. All right. Orca. I'm going to go orca. We've got two orcas on here. We've got an infrared camera. Another shampoo killer whale. we got another. Oh, yeah. So we've got we've got three for killer whales. TJ Pizza, are you a killer whale as well? I said humans. You said humans. But that probably doesn't make sense. Because, you know. Yeah. We got seal, um, says Mama K. Probably killer whale. Birds. Birds? Just don't want them to poop on you. Nope. No poop. No poop. Birds. I don't want no poop. All right, here we go. Moving on to the answer. Polar bears are huge, standing at seven... Uh, 7 to 10 feet tall and weighing up to 1,500 pounds. Their thick layer of blubber keeps their insides warm, but also lets so little heat escape that they are nearly invisible to infrared detection. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> so Eric gets 100 points, and since the only people who use uh, infrared detection are humans, I'm going to go ahead and give DJ Pizza another 100 points as well. All right. The Crazy Plague Doctor costumes with weird bird beaks are actually designed with science in mind. 
basically I just use this as an excuse to use another history question. Uh, the physician to King Louis Thirteenth of France, Charles Delorme, created these in 1630, and they were first used in Naples. Pants would be tucked into the boots, and the suit would be covered in a light wax-covered coat with a hood that would cover the mask with glass eyes that had a long beach which would be stuffed with scents like juniper berries, mint, cloves, and myrrh with the thought along the lines that disease was foul-smelling so sweet smells could help keep the doctor safe. They usually carried a cane to keep sick people... uh, (laughs) uh, sick people far enough away and to help with examinations. Before this, the common method to help eliminate the plague was quarantine, from the Venetian word quarantena, which means what exactly? What does quarantena mean? 40 days. We've got 140 days? Is that a second 40 days? That's in Latin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is Venetian. If you want to know your ABCs, you thank the Phoenicians. But if you want to know the answer to this question, you can thank the Venetians. We got a neck beard. We got another 40 days. We got section off. I'm sorry, Holy Sister Lisa, were you just agreeing? I was agreeing. Okay. Uh, Joe, with the show, what do you got? I'm agreeing. You you got another, so we got another 40 days. We got 14 days, says Mama K. All right. Two weeks to slow the curve. Yeah, gotta slow it down. Gotta slow it down. Slow it down. All right, so, uh, Chrissy is gonna go ahead and get 100 points. Lisa's gonna get 100 points. Nicole's gonna get 100 points for taking Latin. I'll give her another 50. Uh, (laughs) We get, uh, Sessler gets 100 points. Um, Mama K is gonna get 400 points. She was a little off, but she got the right idea. What? Yeah, because I make up the points and she's my mom, that's why. Uh, so... <laughs> First imposed in 1347 as Trentino, which refers to a 30-day isolation period that people would have to wait on ships before going ashore to ensure that they weren't bringing any illnesses with them as they disembarked. During the Black Death in the 14th and 15th centuries, the waiting period got extended to 40 days. Or a quarantine. As a fun side note about those plague doctor suits, the image of doctors was brought back. Uh, In fact, the image of the plague doctor was used by the Italian comedy group Dell'Arte. The masks worn at Carnival tend to have elongated noses to resemble the look of the plague doctor. So you can see right here behind me. Boop. All right. That's going to move us into our final category tonight of Disney Discourse. So, I guess at Walt Disney World love their hidden Mickeys. There is even a book describing the whereabouts of all the hidden Mickeys on property. I'm sure there's probably an app for it now, too. Thing is, unless you plan to go... Unless if you plan a late fall trip, you can't see them all. What Walt Disney World attraction has a hidden Mickey you can only see around noon on November 18th? Hmm. Is that Mickey's birthday? That is Mickey's birthday. Okay. So something to do... With hidden Mickeys, really. It's a Walt Disney World attraction. We've got the castle, says Eric. Under the sea, says Sessler. It points to a hidden Mickey, like the scene from Raiders. You just have to make sure you remove one foot to honor the cash cow that is Mickey Mouse. Right, Eric? Yeah. Does it still exist? Like, was it in Toontown and now it's gone? Oh, no. It is still very much there. Um, Although you're half right, I guess. (laughs) We got another castle. We got a carousel. I know I'm the worst. (laughs) Uh, Oh, yeah. See, Eric understands. 
The Haunted Mansion. Haunted Mansion. People Mover. Tomorrowland Transit Authority. All right, we're waiting on you, DJ Pizza. What do you got? You're sticking with the carousel. Yeah. All right. What's the answer? Haunted Mansion. All right. Sessler's getting 500 points for this, for being close enough. All right. In the queue for Journey of the Little Mermaid, or Under the Sea, Journey uh-huh. of the Little Mermaid, uh, in Fantasyland in the Magic Kingdom, there's a hidden Mickey that appears around noon on November 18th each year. Happy birthday, Mickey. There it is. Look, it's like two different parts. It shows it right there. It's a real thing. Mm. All right. Uh, <laughs> have to go check this out. From what? 1955 until 1990, there was a shop on Main Street, USA in Disneyland. There you could buy your favorite tobacco products and smoke your cigarettes as you walk around the park. Ashtrays were conveniently located at the entrance to every attraction. What was the name of the shop to purchase all your tobacco wants and needs? Acme Traders. Acme Traders. <laughs> it's not I do actually really love making these PowerPoints because I love the fact that several of the slides I just don't change, and this is one of them. <laughs> Joe loves this picture. That's, yeah, it's my favorite picture of all times. It's What you guys can't see is that uh, Joe with the show actually has the same style as these first three kids running yeah. down the bridge. Yeah. Um, Holy Sister Lisa, you can't see either, actually wears a jumper like that first girl that's about a half mile back, too. Yeah. So she's I think she's the fifth person to cross the bridge, but uh, Holy Sister Lisa wears that same jumper every Monday. Isn't Elon Musk one of those kids? No, no, it was George Lucas. George Lucas. George Lucas. All right, so we've got uh, Yesterland. We've got Pete's Cigar Shop. Uh, we've got Pete's Cigar Chewing Emporium. The Smoke Shop. Uh, Joe, what was your guess? Acme. Acme. Trader. Yeah, Acme Traders. DJ Pizza. I said Winston's. Winston's. Oh, like from the Flintstones. I like the Pete's Cigar Shop. Pete's Cigar Shop. All right, what is it? All right. P- part of me thinks that Sessler's Googling stuff. Uh, also, another going to go with Pete's Cigar Shop. So I would accept either the tobacco shop or the tobacconist. They even supplied supplied souvenir matches for guests to light their cigarettes with. And you will know it is a souvenir because it actually says it right on there. See, it, it says souvenir, <laughs> souvenir <Yeah>. matches. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the uh, In 1990, it turned into a baseball card and sports memorabilia shop until 1999, when the Great American Pastimes became the 20th Century Music Company, which sold CDs and movies. Disney wins, obviously. But now it pretty much is just a pin location. So I'm going to go ahead and give myself another 500 points. Uh, oh, wait. My mom said tobacco shop on Main Street. I'm taking my 500 points away and giving them to Mama K. All right. So. Zootopia, what a fantastic movie with a strong female lead and a true depiction of friendship. I honestly can say I love this movie. Zootopia, in fact, loves all sorts of Disney movies. Chief Bogo makes a comment that life isn't some cartoon musical where you can sing a little song and all your insipid dreams magically come true. So let it go. In a self-aware Disney moment, Picking, uh, making fun at Disney movies, but mostly directly at Frozen. Heck, there's a table full of movies that are spoofs of titles of other great Disney films. Near the beginning, as Officer Hops is riding the train through the different areas in Zootopia, there is a few second shot in Tundertown showing three elephants, for some reason, uh, which are dressed up as what Disney characters? I really do love this movie, so everybody, everybody should go watch it. Mm. The 
We got Minnie Mouse. We got Huey, Dewey, and Louie. Yep. We got Dancers. So real quick, before I give the answer, or we're still waiting for a few more, make sure you check us out at freetacos.com. That is F-R-E-E-T-A-L-K-O-S.com. Um, also, like mm. I said before, you can buy your Hot Passport now for $5 off at hotpassport.com using the promo code FREETACOS, all capital letters, no space. Definitely check it out. Definitely get yourself a whole bunch of first two beers half off at... Uh, some participating breweries, 70, 76 right now in Florida, mm. uh, but hopefully growing soon. So we've got uh, Mickey, Goofy, and Donald. We've got Mickey, Donald, and Goofy. Joe with the show. Huey, Dewey, Louie. Huey, Dewey, Louie. we got the Fab Three, says Chris. Fab Three? That's not a thing. Uh, <laughs> and DJ Pizza, your guess? Dumbo. Dumbo. <laughs> That would be a good guess. I actually thought that myself, too, until I knew the answer, because I knew it. Uh, you don't want to blink, because the scene is wonderfully animated, but you might also miss two of the elephants dressed up as Anna and Elsa from Frozen. Uh. I know, I threw you guys off by actually mentioning Frozen at the beginning. Interesting. Uh, but now, it makes sense why the elephants are there, because the cold doesn't bother them anyway. One of my favorite nods to Frozen and Zootopia is that there's a character called Duke Weaselton. And in this flick, he's actually accidentally called Wesselton. And in Frozen, Duke Wesselton is accidentally called Weaselton. Both of those characters are voiced by Alan Tudyk, who must love Disney movies because he is actually the voice of the AI in The House of Tomorrow in the wonderful world of Mickey Mouse. He is in Wreck-It Ralph as King Candy. He's Alistair Cray in Big Hero 6, K2SO in Rogue One, he's Hey Hey in Moana, Nosemore in Ralph Breaks the Internet, and he's Iago in the live-action Aladdin. Oh, and he's in the brand-new Disney movie, Raya and the Last Dragon, as the adorable little armadillo. Nope, that's wrong. Armadillo. Tuck-tuck. Uh, which I assume just makes noises because that's what he does. All right, I'm going to take a few seconds here to tally up the totals. Uh, and, duh, hell, I'm going to give it to Big Mama K tonight. Thousand points. I think that beats everybody else. Yeah. Except for me. Uh, but I'm not going to win because I already won. So uh, Big Mama K wins right. with a thousand points. I did stump you guys on a few questions, giving myself another 500 points. And, um,. That was great. Thank you so much for joining us. We will be here back next Monday uh, with some more trivia for you guys. And I hope that you guys enjoyed. Thanks for joining us on Facebook Live uh, here in the studio with me. <laughs> studio. Uh, I have Holy Sister Lisa, DJ Pizza, Joe with the show, who's raising up his hand and fist that you cannot see. Uh, but thank you so much for playing with us. Check us out on Instagram, on Facebook, on Spotify, uh, and now on freetacos.com. Thank you so much. Have a great night. Good night. Penis. <laughs>